Hey, how's everybody doing? Man, really good to see you. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the opportunity to share with you from God's Word today. Uh, we are kicking off an all-new series, as you just saw. Uh, it's called Have It All. And what we're doing in this series is the tagline, the idea behind it, is that we are living and giving from the overflow. And in this life, I think in this culture too, um, we live with a mindset of lack a lot. Of what we don't have, of what we're missing, of what we're missing out on, or what we're lacking. And we have a culture that tries to push on us all these things we need. So, you know, commercials and, and social media will tell us, if we get this, then we'll be happy. If we have this product, then we'll feel joy. If we just accomplish this with our life or get this many followers, right, then, then we'll be fulfilled. But in reality, what we believe is that we already have it all, all we need to accomplish all that God has for our life. You want to know why? Because we serve a God that owns it all. And so when we are people and children of the source, when we're children of the Father who has access to everything, unlimited resources, that we don't have to walk in a mindset of lack or what we don't have, but we can walk in the confidence that we serve a God that can give us everything we need to accomplish everything we have and want for our life. And so that's what we're gonna, really going to do in this series. What we're going to do is we're going to go through Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 20, verse by verse for the next four weeks. So today, I'm focusing specifically on verse 10, 11, and 12. All right? So go there in your Bibles, Philippians 4. If you don't have them, it will be on the screen for you. Uh, you can follow along. I'm going to read it here in a moment. But the definition of content is a state of happiness and satisfaction. Can you imagine like living in a state of satisfaction in your life? Well, you're just satisfied with your marriages. You're satisfied with your relationships. You're satisfied with your bank account. You're satisfied with uh, your job. You're satisfied with, with everything around you. You're satisfied with home. Ladies, you're satisfied with your decor, okay? Satisfied with your furniture. Uh, for me, it'd be like you're satisfied with your shoes, because I'm always trying to get some more, you know what I'm saying, uh, some more shoes. And, and so what if we lived in this, this state of satisfaction? That's what being content is. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about contentment. And Paul, in these first three verses of chapter 4, or, or sorry, first three verses, 10, 11, and 12 of chapter 4, Paul really focuses on what it means to be content. And that contentment is something that he has learned and that we need to learn in our lives. So that's what I'm talking to you about today, about contentment. The title of my message is What I've Got is More Than What It's Not. In a culture that would say you need more, you don't have enough, you're lacking, uh, if you just got this, then you'd be happy. I want to focus on what we've got is more than it's not. You want to know why? Because we have and are, and are connected to the source. And so even when we're lacking something, uh, we can go to someone that has it all. And so I want to talk to you about contentment today. And it's a, a topic, and, and being content is something that I deal with. I don't know about you, but, but I struggle with being content with what I have. Content with where I'm at. Content with my current circumstance. Content uh, in, in my relationships. I struggle with that. And I think a lot of us can relate. 
So what I want to do, I want to read, I want to read starting in chapter number 4, verse 10 through 12. If you have your Bibles, you can go there with me to the book of Philippians. And, and I do want to set this up because we need to understand the context of, of what's happening here. Paul is writing this letter to a church in Philippi. And he's writing this letter to this church, and this church is very special to him. And this church is very special to Paul because we actually see in Acts chapter 16 where Paul has a supernatural vision to go to the city of Philippi. God actually gives him this vision and says, go to Philippi. So he takes Titus with him, and they travel to Philippi because they've just started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the Middle East. So Philippi is a city in what was then Macedonia. So they make the trek. It was, it was a, a good-sized trek, a couple-day trek to Philippi because God had told them to go there. And so they walk into Philippi. They begin to preach the gospel. They're talking about Jesus. And immediately they're arrested and thrown into jail. So they get thrown into jail. And while they're in jail, they're sitting in jail, and, and they begin to sing praises. They begin to worship. The Bible says they sing praises and spiritual songs to God and they're praising God in the jail and all of a sudden the jail starts to shake and their shackles fall off them and the doors of the jail swing open. Not just their door, but every door of all the prisoners in the, in the jail. They all swing open. Well, the Philippian jailer, that's what they call him. We don't know what his real name is. That's what they call him. The Philippian jailer comes walking in and sees all the jail cells wide open and he thinks, I've let all the prisoners out. I'm dead. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, it's over for me. So he grabs his sword and he's about to kill himself. And as he's about to kill himself, Paul calls out to him from the jail and says, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Which is not about you, but if the jail cells swing open and I'm in jail, I'm out. Shawshank Redemption, y'all. I'm, I'm gone. And so... The, the, the jail swing open, but not, it's not just that Paul and Titus don't leave. None of the prisoners leave. They all stay. And so the jailer comes and falls down at the feet of Paul. And he's like, tell me about this God that opened these jail cells, loosed your shackles, and yet none of you left. Why would that happen? And the Philippian jailer in that moment gives his life to Jesus Christ. And then he takes Paul and Titus and he says, I want you to come with me to my house. Tell my whole family. So they go to his house, and the entire family accepts Jesus Christ and gives their lives to Jesus Christ, become followers of Jesus. And theologians tell us that th these are like the founding members of the church in Philippi. That this Philippian jailer was like the beginning of a church being birthed in the city. So now fast forward a few years, and Paul is writing this letter to this church, a church that is near and dear to his heart, a church that he helped start, and it's near because he saw God do the miraculous in birthing this church. But he writes from another jail cell in Rome. Paul spent a lot of time in jail. He's in Rome, and he's been in jail for a few months, and he writes this letter, and he pens these words from a jail cell about being content about being content in all things. Hope that puts it into context for you. Because a lot of us have a hard time being content and we have much. And we wonder and we think, if I just get here, 
then I'll be content. If my bank account just hits this number, then I'll be content. Once I get this job, then I'll be content. Once I get this many followers on social media, then I'll be content. But I'm here to tell you, if we don't learn how to be content in our lack, we'll never be able to be content in our abundance. And so today, I want to challenge us that we would walk in contentment no matter what our circumstance. So let's read Philippians 4, 10 through 12. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul is writing this. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, say it, content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So I want to today, I want to talk about the gift of being content and what it produces in you. Because I think if you find contentedness in your life, there is fruit that will be produced through it. So here's the first thing that the gift of contentedness or what the gift of being content produces. Number one, it produces a mindset of thankfulness. When you are content, you walk thankful, don't you? You're thankful for what you have. You're thankful for what God has given you. You're thankful for all the things that are happening in your life for the good. In a day, in our lives, when we want to focus so much on what we don't have, so much on the negative, so much on how things aren't going our way, so much on how God isn't coming through for us, what contentedness does is there's a mindset that says, I don't care about what I don't have. I'm going to give God thanks for what I do have. Because what I've got is more than what it's not. I'm going to thank him. Paul's rejoicing because of the heart of the people. He's rejoicing because these people have a heart for him. See, what I didn't tell you is that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi from a jail cell in Rome, which puts his words into a greater context. And actually, let I believe, gives them more weight. He's not writing them from a beach in Maui right? He's not writing them when, he, when he'd uh, become the Pope uh, of the biggest church in, in the Middle East. No, he's writing these words to a church from a jail cell where he had been for months. And he writes to them, he says, thank you for your heart for me. Why is he thankful for them? If we keep reading, and we're going to read this, the rest of this passage over the next few weeks, it actually tells us that this church in Philippi sent a dude named Epaphroditus to Rome, to the jail, to take care of Paul. And this was something that was done in this day where they would let them in and they'd give them food and take care of them and tend to their needs. And if they had any wounds, Epaphroditus goes there. From this church, they sent him to take care of Paul. And Paul's giving thanks. He says, thank you. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for thinking about me. The people this church wanted to help. I want to ask you, when was the last time you gave thanks for the heart of the people in your life? You know, sometimes it's, it's real easy. I'm married. I've been married for 10 years, and it's real easy to focus on, on where my wife is falling short and what my wife isn't doing for me. And how she's not meeting up or living up to my standards. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to give thanks and have a mindset of thanks and give her praise and thanks for the good things that she is doing in our marriage. 
And I, I think about it for me and my wife, she, uh, she's joked for a long time that I'm a robot. We got any robotic men up in here, like you just have no emotion, that, that's me. And she's joked for a long time, like, you have no emotion. I went like three years without crying one time. She's like, how is that possible? She cries like every five minutes, you know what I'm saying? I tell her, you cry enough for the both of us. We're good. But, but in the last couple months, I, I've had this weird thing happening where I've become emotional. And uh, in the last couple months, I've cried like a few different times. And my wife's like, what's going on with you? Like, are you okay? But here's what's interesting is every time it happened, it wasn't because I was depressed or, or sad or it wasn't because something bad was happening. These tears were flowing because I was in a state and a spirit of thankfulness. In fact, two weeks ago, we were with our staff and I told them a story of a, of a marriage in our church that God is saving and transforming and, and how God had saved their lives and their souls. And I'm telling this story and I'm weeping. It wasn't because I was sad. It was because I was giving, thankful, I was giving thanks to God for the miracles that he does. I've talked to my wife and I become emotional when I begin to praise her for the good things in her life and, and, and the, all that she does for our family and the wife that she is to me and what she does bring to the table rather than what she doesn't. And, and all of a sudden there's this emotion that comes up. Why? Because there's a thankfulness attached to it. So I want to ask you, because what I believe is when we're content with what God has given us, this mindset of thankfulness begins to transform our hearts towards people, our hearts towards others, our hearts towards those that we know, and our hearts towards those that we don't know. We need to walk thankful. This is what contentedness looks like. Number two, a mindset, the gift of being content is that it produces a mindset of unity. Everybody say unity. When we have a mindset of unity, we are more content because it's not just about us. You see, when it's just about you, it's hard to be content. Because all you can focus on what you don't have, what you haven't done, what you haven't accomplished, how you don't have what they have. But when you have a mindset of unity, you start to see, look what God's doing in their life. Look how God has blessed him. And, and I'm in it with him, so I'm blessed too because he's blessed. We live in a, a culture where we think that, that tearing other people down will build us up. And I'm here to tell you that other people's success will not hinder yours. In fact, I found that when I celebrate the successes of others, they begin to celebrate me. And all of a sudden, I am elevated to a level that I otherwise wouldn't be. What if we became a people that celebrated when other people were successful? What if you single girl celebrated when your girl next door got engaged, when she got a man? I know you've been waiting, but what if you celebrated her man? Maybe your man will come. What if we celebrated one another? We celebrated the good things happening. We celebrate. This is the mindset that I'm talking about that I believe contentedness produces. It's unity. That we're in this together. That I'm in this for the betterment of humanity, not just for myself. I'm in this to make a better, a greater impact in my city, not just so I get more. I'm in this to influence the people around me and, and in my church and to bless others, not just so I have a lot of money in my bank account. No, we have a mindset of unity. We're in it for others. This is what contentedness does. When you are content, when you are content with what you have, you aren't so focused on getting more you live so you can give more. 
It's not just about getting, it's about giving. You know, my son, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Thanksgiving. We're actually gonna drive to Arizona for Thanksgiving, pray for us, 12 hours with three children in a car. Uh, So my wife's sister lives there, and uh, they have four kids. So it's my my kids' cousins. They don't get to see them that much, and and so we're gonna go there for Thanksgiving. And so my son, my oldest one, he said, well, we're going there for Thanksgiving. He said, are the whites coming? And I was like, the whites? Like, who, who are the whites? And he's like, you know, uh, Tita Kate, Tita Britt, Uncle Luke, Mimi and Papa. I'm like, oh, he's referring to my side of the family. He called them the whites. My, my half Filipino son, he, he, he already refers to my side of the family as the whites. And I was like, bro, wait, did you call my side of the family the whites? He's like, yeah, that's what they are. We're brown, you're, you're the whites. <laughs> Dude, I was dying, like laughing so, I mean, he's seven years old. I, I don't know where this comes from. But <laughs> he, he's seven years old and he's saying this, but I, I, I heard his heart, right? His heart, he, he wanted everyone together. He wanted everyone together for Thanksgiving. He wanted everyone together for Christmas. I don't know why I'm still laughing about this. It was so funny, I'm sorry. Some of you are like, I don't know how to feel about that story. What is wrong with this pastor's family? <laughs> I'm trying to tie it in. Okay, I don't know. I shouldn't have told this one. A mindset of unity. But seriously, you know, I, I love that in our church we're, we're made up of all different races and, and backgrounds and um, different ethnic groups, different social classes even. I I love that about our church. And I want us to be a a church that is unified. And I believe that unity comes when we are content in who God created us to be. You know, I can't change who I am just like you can't change who you are. I can't change the color of the skin that I was born with just like you can't. But you know what I can do? I can say we're all in this together. You're my brother, whether you're this, you look the same or you're the same shade as me or not. You're my brother, whether you were raised in a family like mine, that, that parents are still married, or you come from a broken family. No, we're in this together. I'm here for your betterment, just like you're here for mine. That we would be a unified church, a unified people. That's what contentedness does. When we're content with who God has made us to be, we don't celebrate just ourselves, we celebrate others. We rejoice in the diversity of what God has done in the body of Christ. Third today, the gift of being content is that it produces a mindset of humility. This is what Paul says. He says, I know how to be brought low. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like that. <laughs> like, nah, Paul, like, wait, wait, let's, let's focus on the other part. He, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I'm down with the abounding part, the abundance part, but the, be brought, the bring, being brought low part, I don't know. But I love that Paul says, look, I know how to do both. I've had times of blessing, and I've had times of struggle. I want to tell you right now, we serve a God that isn't just the God of our success. He's also the God of our struggle. 
And sometimes we think that if I'm not succeeding, then God has left me. If I'm not succeeding, then God has abandoned me. If I'm not succeeding, then God doesn't love me. But I'm here to tell you, he's the same God in your struggle as he is in your success. He's walking you through the struggle. And I believe he's going to bring you to the success. But we got to trust in the God that's a God in the middle of a struggle. And I know some of you are in a struggle. Trust him. Humility. Man, I, I have some family, uh, and, and I have some family, like close family, who are extremely successful financially. Extremely successful. And I'll be honest with you. Whenever I spend time with them, and I'm around them, and I visit them, my flesh becomes uncomfortable. And it doesn't become uncomfortable because... I don't feel comfortable in that setting or because they, they, they have more than me. I, it becomes uncomfortable because I'm like, I want that. And suddenly, my, my heart and my mindset moves from one of humility to one of pride where I go, man, if I just do a few things, I could have that money too. If I just, you know, change a few things, alter a few things, uh, you know, shift a, a few of what I'm doing, move some of my time, then, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, the, I'm gonna have that too. I'm gonna have the house. I'm gonna have the boat. I'm gonna have the all these kinds of things. And my mindset becomes one of pride instead of humility. Here's the thing. I love this because I think you need to hear this. Because sometimes in a in a message like this, we think that. Okay, what God is saying and what Paul is saying is that we all should be poor. Like as Christians, if you really love Jesus, you're going to be humble, poor, broke, you know, like barely paying your bills. And I don't believe that's what the word of God tells us or what this passage is talking about. What Paul is saying is I've learned the secret. He says, I can be content in all things. He says, I know how to be low, but I also know how to abound. So what I want to say to you is whatever God has given you right now, wherever God has placed you, whatever your life looks like right now, can you be content in it? Because if you can't be content now, you won't be content when you're there, when you arrive. And I want you to hear me because I believe we serve a God of abundance. We serve a God of more than enough. And I have friends and I have people in this church and, and I have family members who financially, their bank account, it looks good. And let me tell you, I would challenge them in the same way as those of you in this place that are struggling to pay your bills, that, that, that have missed a few months of your mortgage payment. I would say the same to you. Can we be content with what God has given us right now? Because I think here's, here's the problem in the church. Listen to me. The church has, has told us this lie, this lie that if you follow Jesus, you're poor, or if you follow Jesus, you really love Jesus, then you're rich. And so we have prosperity gospel, which has distorted the church, and then we have a, a poverty mentality gospel, which has distorted the church. I don't believe either are biblical. I believe what's biblical is are you content with what God has given you? Are you content in the season you're in? Are you content with the blessings that God has given? And can you focus on what you have rather than what you don't? Because if you can't be thankful for what you have, then no matter how much you get, you'll always need more. And it won't satisfy because nothing in this world can satisfy. And you'll keep pressing and you'll keep pushing and you'll keep needing and you'll keep going, God, why can't I be happy? But Paul lays it out for us. He says, I know the secret. 
He says, I know how to abound. Abundance. We serve a God of abundance, so don't feel guilty if your bank account is full in this place because that means God has blessed you. Can you be content with it? But also, I know how to be brought low. So if you're here and you're struggling financially and your bank account is empty and you don't know how you're going to eat lunch after church, I want to tell you, can you be content and trust God? Say, God, I'm going to trust you even in this low state, even in this low season. I'm going to learn humility. You see, when contentment is present, the drive to succeed changes. I think we all should have a drive to success, don't you? Like we should have a drive to do better, to do more, to accomplish things for God, to, to, to do something with our life. We all need that. We should have that. But being content changes the framework of your success. And let, let me explain. The drive to be successful when you are content no longer has a singular focus. Because the drive to be successful when you're not content, here are the focuses. The focus is this. It's about having money. It's about being successful in man's eyes. It's about getting more. It's about getting the bigger house. It's about having more toys. It's about having a better retirement. It's about playing more golf. Come on, somebody. It's about buying more shoes. Oh, amen. It's about having all this stuff. And the drive to be successful is only about that. Things, stuff, man's eyes, how people perceive you. But when you walk content, when you learn the secret of being content, then your, your focus or, or your drive to success, your framework of success, no longer has a singular focus. It changes. And this is how it changes. It changes to this. Now, I want to be successful not just so I can have more money and stuff and toys. I want to be successful so that I can bless other people. So I can help my family more. So I can impact my community. So I can bless my city. So I can give to my church. Amen. So I can do all these other things to bring the betterment of humanity. The, the focus of success shifts. And that's what God is saying to us. When you learn to be content, it's no longer just about you. It's no longer just about what man says about you. Now it's about what can I do and what can God do through me? What can God do through my gifts, through my abilities, through my money, through my influence, through all the things that I have? That's what contentedness does. It changes the framework of our success. Should we still be successful and drive to be successful? Yes. But we don't do it for us anymore. Or we don't do it for man's approval. We do it for God and we do it to bless and we do it to serve and we do it to release hope. That's what contentedness does. And finally today, this gift of being content, if the band would come back, is that it produces a mindset of faith. Everybody say faith. You know, I love this mindset that I believe that God wants us to have. You see, it's not a mindset of lack, but it's a mindset of abundance. 
And I believe that God wants to change our mindset. Here's what I think. The church for too long has, have a, has had a poverty mindset. And we walk through life with a poverty mindset, and we think that that's, that's humility. We think that that's true humility. It is that if, I, if I'm poor, and if I'm struggling, and if I'm suffering, and if my life is never, you know, good, and, and things aren't, and I'm not experiencing blessing, then, then I really love God. Then I'm truly serving God. But I believe God is wanting to shift and, and change some of our mindsets. He wants us to have an overflow mindset. That we walk in the joy of what we have rather than the discouragement of what we don't. That we walk in the joy of what we've been given rather than the discouragement or what isn't there, isn't present. When we walk with this mindset, we have greater faith to see God do what it seems like we can't do on our own. You see, when we walk with this mindset, we believe for the miraculous. We believe for God to do things that in the natural couldn't happen. We stop walking and living thinking in the natural, thinking about what, what our, our practical brains can perceive and process. But we start walking with the mindset of the supernatural, with a mindset that says, God can do far more than I ask, think, or imagine. That we start walking with this mindset of faith. And so I want to challenge you today. Being content will produce faith in you. Faith for more. Faith for greater things. Faith for the miraculous. Faith for the supernatural. Faith for God to come through. Faith for God to meet your financial needs. Faith for God to give you favor. Faith for God to give you that job. Faith for God to give you a raise. Faith for God to give you that next step up. That's what contentedness does. It produces a mindset of faith. You see, Paul, he says, I know how to go low, but he also says, I know how to abound. He says, I know, I know how to abound. He goes on, he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, but I've also learned about walking in abundance. And I love this part because he says something, and I've heard this preached, but I've never heard it broken down. He says this, he says, I have learned the secret. Everybody say the secret. He said, I've learned the secret of facing plenty of need and the secret of walking in abundance. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. You guys ready? You see, the Bible lays it out for us what the secret is. And some of you have been walking and I'm about to let you in on a secret that is going to set you free. I'm about to let you in on a secret, the secret that Paul is talking about here that's going to break off some chains in your life. Here's the secret. What we have in Jesus is so much greater than what we don't have in this life. Did you hear me? The secret is that what we have in Jesus is so much greater than what we don't have in this life, in this world. That's the secret. Paul says, I've learned the secret. I know the secret. So that means when I have plenty, I'm good. And that means when I have nothing, I'm still good. 
That means when my bank account is full, oh, I'm giving praise. And that means when it's been depleted, I'm still saying, Jesus, thank you, because I know you, and I have an eternal promise, and I know where I'm going, and I don't have to worry about my future, and I don't have to worry about my hope. I have an eternal hope in you. That's the secret. What you have in Jesus is so much greater than what you don't have in this life, in this world. When we begin to let that soak into our hearts and our spirits, we can walk content. We can walk content. Content on the mountaintop and content in the valley. Content in our success and content in our struggle. If we don't learn how to be content in our struggle, we'll never be content in our success. If we don't learn how to be content when our bank account is empty, we won't be content when it's full. The secret is Jesus. What you have in him is more than what you could ever lack in this earth, in this world, in this life. So I want to ask you today, have you received the secret? Jesus. Jesus. It's maybe the best kept secret in our culture today. People think they know him, but they don't. They think they've heard the story, but they wonder why they still feel empty. Because it's him. He's all we need. He's all you'll ever need. And he will change how you live out what you do have. So I want to ask you today, somebody in this place, you need to receive the secret. You need to receive Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me across this place?